Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. But it's not too late to give to that, so you're still welcome to put a check uh, in the offering plate. You can give to one of us at the end of the service. Just write Lottie Moon on the bottom of it. Every penny goes to overseas mission work to fund missionaries just like these folks. Let me pray for us, and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you again for the chance you've given us to live in a country and in a place where we're free to worship, Lord. We are free right now to do what we're doing, to to assemble together as a body of believers, to sing and to pray and to study without fear of, of the government breaking down our doors, Lord, and imprisoning us. But Lord, I know that there are literally millions and millions of believers all over the world right now that don't have that privilege. Father, they're living in persecution. They're living in places where the government does not allow them to assemble together and study. And so, Lord, I thank you for that opportunity, but I also pray desperately, Father, that that wouldn't lead us to complacency. That we wouldn't just kind of fall into a rut because it's so easy, Father. Help us to challenge ourselves on a regular basis to, to grow in our walk, Lord, to, 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 to understand your word more, to spend more time in prayer. Lord, you challenge us with our growth. And Father, I pray that as we spend a few minutes this morning examining the truth of your word, Lord, this will be just another opportunity for us to develop our walk, to deepen our faith, Father. I pray that we would be, through the power of the Spirit, transformed again more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading a little excerpt of a story I read over the break about persecuted believers in China. Now you're probably thinking, why are you reading a story of persecuted believers in China right after Christmas, right? It's Christmas, New Year. Let's start with a little more of a, an exciting, upbeat kind of a story. Well, this story is a little bit about Christmas, and I'll kind of tell you why in a second. But more than that, I think sometimes we need to be reminded of how good we have it. What you're doing now is uncommon in the history of the world. You need to understand that. It's uncommon through the centuries. It's uncommon in our century now. It will be less common, mark my words, as we move through history. So I was reading this story about these persecuted believers in China and how the government this year especially was cracking down on uh, these, these Christmas celebrations. Christmas in China is becoming more and more popular. I just want to read a portion of this article. This was a few weeks ago. On Wednesday, university students in the central province of Hunan held an anti-Christmas pageant with banners declaring Chinese should not celebrate foreign festivals. Education officials in the coastal city of Wenzhou issued a decree banning the celebration of Christmas-themed events at schools. Students at a university in northwest China were forced to endure three hours of propaganda films, including one glorifying Confucius, according to the state news media. Faculty members reportedly stood at the doors making sure no one tried to sneak off to partake in illicit Christmas cheer. I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it. The article continues, More alarming, Christian activists say, is the year-long crackdown on church buildings. The government has targeted as many as 400 churches, Christian rights advocates say, demolishing a number of churches and removing crosses on structures they say violate local building 
codes. Now these believers face persecution every day. They face great difficulty every day. But here's the most amazing part of the article. According to some estimates, there are now more than 100 million believers in China. A figure that stands in marked contrast to the 85 million members of the Communist Party. A hundred million followers of Jesus Christ that live under great oppression in a country that's clearly anti-Christian. Now what you need to understand is this is happening in other parts of the world on a regular basis. Faithful men and women of God living for Christ regardless of what it costs them. Now every time I read an article like this, Every time I hear a story like this, I'm always driven to ask the question of how can these people keep going like this? How can these Chinese believers live like this? How can the persecuted Christians all over the world keep going and following Christ even under harsh persecution week after week, month after month, year after year? And I always come to this kind of very simple conclusion. They keep doing this because at some point in their lives they've come to the conclusion and the realization that all they need is Christ. Jesus is enough. And I wonder how many of us have reached that conclusion in our walk. And so we're going to think this morning through a text that's help us, going to help us understand that Jesus Christ is in fact enough. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now as you're flipping, I want to tell you about a few things that are upcoming and ask you to, to be in prayer for some of them specifically. One of the things I want you to be aware of is that next Sunday morning, January the 4th, we're going to do what we call a connection class. So if you're new to our church, you've been visiting for a while, or you don't yet have a small group of Sunday school on Sunday morning, at 9.30 next week or at 11, if you're going to come to this service, you go into the fellowship hall. Randy Presley, who does all of our adult ministries, is going to be teaching a class and helping you understand all the options you have for Sunday school. You need to find a Sunday school class. You need to find a Sunday school class. Go to this connection class next week, and you can learn about all the options that we have and all the things that are available to you. But in a couple of weeks, on the 11th of January, I'm going to be starting a series on the book of Genesis. Now, I don't want to scare you, but this is, this is a very kind of daunting task for me for a couple of different reasons. Number one, Genesis is a foundational book. I mean, I literally could preach weeks and weeks on the first few verses of creation. There's a lot there. But it's also got 50 chapters. And so this is the first sermon series I've ever started. I'm not quite sure when it's going to end. <laughs> so... I guess that's okay. We'll find out. I'm not going to preach every chapter, but I want to preach most of them because there's so many good things there. So you, I just want to ask you specifically, if you would, to pray for me, to pray that this would just be a, a great series as we kind of walk through the foundational text of Genesis 1 and following because there's so many things that we build our faith on that are found in the book of Genesis. You be in prayer for that. We're going to start next year. You'll hear more about this with 30 days of prayer. 
We're going to talk specifically about what that's going to look like over the next couple weeks and ask you to pray some, for some very specific things. And then in January and February, we've got two different teams going to South Asia to do ministry work. Very similar to what you see as missionaries doing here on our videos. And then April, our spring break trip to Guatemala, we now have 65 people signed up to go to Guatemala. So you be in prayer for those people. You be in prayer for that village that the Lord just does incredible things through all those people and how the Lord's working in missions and how He's working in the hearts of our people. Just be in prayer that He's going to continue to bless us and then 2015 will be even better than 2014. Now, we've been studying for the last several weeks the prologue of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We've kind of gotten up to this point where last week we studied and really thought through John 1, 14. And I want to read it again because it bears repeating. And then we'll start this morning in verse 15 with our study. But John 1, 14 says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the incarnation, God becomes man, the heart and soul of all the reasons we celebrate Christmas. But it's at this point now that we're going to change direction just a little bit. The Gospel of John is going to change just a little bit. We're going to begin our study in John 15 and think a little bit more about Christ and His supremacy. So follow with me if you would in your Bibles, or we're going to have it on the screen to read this morning as we delve into 1 John chapter 15. John testifies concerning him. So he cried out saying, This was he of whom I spoke about. Let me, let me back up. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has, has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Now there's some truth in here that I want to get into. There's some things I want you to understand, but there's a foundational picture that I want you to get from this. And we're going to walk through this and understand it as we go. But kind of the foundational picture of verses 15 through 18 is the supremacy of Christ. If you wanted to kind of summarize these few verses, if you're taking notes or maybe wanted to make a kind of little headline there in your Bible, these few verses all point to the supremacy of Christ, but it's more than just the supremacy of Christ. We're going to see that the supremacy of Christ should lead us to do certain things. It should cause us to act certain ways. It should cause us as followers of Jesus Christ to be different than other people. So here's the first truth I want to think through this morning. We're going to see this in the text, especially there in verse 15. Number one, the supremacy of Christ led John the Baptist to testify about Jesus. The supremacy of Christ led John the Baptist to testify about Jesus. Now let's just take a step back and let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here. John the Baptist and the writer of the Gospel of John are different. If you were reading through a commentary about this book, you would read about one they would call John the Baptist, other they would call maybe the evangelist, the writer of the gospel. So we're talking about two different people here. Now let's remember John the Baptist. You may remember his story. John the Baptist is the guy that the Lord, the Bible says, sent out into the wilderness. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. We saw that a few weeks ago. John the Baptist was sent out into the wilderness. He was a very eccentric man. He wore camel's hair as a coat. He ate locusts and he ate wild honey. And he went into the wilderness for one very clear reason. The Bible says he was preparing the way for the Lord. And so what we see is that John the Baptist is out sharing 
He's out testifying. He's out preparing the way of Christ so that all those that would hear would understand exactly who Jesus was going to be. Now John the evangelist or the writer is speaking in verse 15 about John the Baptist. I I want to make sure we're clear. We're not confusing what's going on here. So John the evangelist or the writer makes this very interesting statement in verse 15. Look with me again if you would. John, this is John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out saying, now these are the words of John the Baptist. I want you to listen to what he's going to say here. This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. (laughs) Sounds confusing, right? Let me read it again. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now Luke chapter 1, let's just understand a little bit more about John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, were relatives. Now some people believe they were cousins. Some people believe that Elizabeth was the aunt to Mary. And so there's a little bit of discussion about how they were related. But because Mary and Elizabeth were related, Jesus and John the Baptist were related. Now Luke 1 also tells us that John the Baptist was actually born before Jesus. So we get this sense, at least from a birth order, that John the Baptist came before Jesus. Now when we read this text, again in verse 15, that helps us understand the meaning. He who comes after me has surpassed me, right? John the Baptist is born first. Jesus comes after John the Baptist in birth order. Yet he says he surpassed me because he was before me. See, here's what John the Baptist is saying. Even though I was born before Jesus, even though he comes after me, he surpassed me because of his supremacy, right? He surpassed me because he's come before me. He's passed me because of his preexistence. We saw that in John 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus Christ always has been and He always will be. So even though He was physically born after John the Baptist, He comes before John the Baptist in His pre-existence and in His supremacy. So what John's ultimately saying to us is this, I've recognized and I've seen the supremacy of Christ, right? In fact, John tells us, if you were to read on through the first chapter of the book of John, John tells us that the Lord has called me and sent me into the wilderness to proclaim the supremacy of Christ. To proclaim the Messiah. To baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see this picture of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. But I want you to notice something. This is kind of where the application comes for our life. When John the Baptist recognizes and understands the supremacy of Christ, it leads him to testify about Jesus. See the connection there? Look at the beginning of verse 15 again. John testified concerning him, and he cried out, and then the words. Why did John testify? Why did John cry out? Because John recognized and understood the supremacy of Christ. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. It's, it's the day after, a couple of days after Christmas. We're a little tired. Stacy alluded to the fact that maybe we're a little tired and maybe we're a little under the weather. So we're going to do something. We're going to liven it up just a little bit. Are you ready? Ready. Thank you, Russell. One. He can, he can participate. He's the only one. You, everybody's got to be quiet. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to actually call this out. This isn't a rhetorical question. I want you to answer my question. Who is the most important person you've ever met? Now, when I say meet, I mean you've 
maybe stood beside them for a picture, shaking. I don't mean you saw them from a mile away. I mean they were like in proximity. Who's the most important person you've ever met? Come on, let's see. Jimmy Carter. Number one. That, there's our winner right there. Let's move on. <clears throat> okay, Herschel Walker. Good. Who else? Okay, President. We had somebody in the first server that met John Wayne. That's a tough one to beat right there. So presidents, who else? Anybody else? Come on. All of a sudden, all at once. What? Maybe Franklin Roosevelt, Miss May. Theodore was early 1900s. Okay, the Roosevelt, good. Okay, uh, that may be the best one to beat. I had a, I've got a kind of an interesting story. I've meeting, I guess I've, I've seen a couple of interesting people in my life, but several years ago I was in Atlanta. And I was up there for, uh, for some meetings, and I was early, and I was right downtown near the Capitol building, and I'm kind of a history nerd anyway, and so there's the Capitol building. Why not go in the Capitol building? Right? I've got a couple hours to kill. So all of you are thinking, why don't you go in the Capitol building? So I walk in, and I was just going to look around for a couple hours, and I went through security. And as I walk in, it's when, uh, it's when uh, uh, Sonny Perdue was still the governor. And I heard his voice. You know, I'm thinking he's giving a speech or something, right? So I made my way through security and I walk into the main part of the Capitol building. And there he is, right in the middle. He's giving a press conference. All the press people and then all these rows of, I guess, important people and all his aides. And I just kind of stood in the back for a few minutes and listened. He didn't talk long, maybe five or ten minutes. And when he finished talking, he kind of stood up by the podium. And he's just kind of milling around a little bit. And so, you know, being the, I guess, naive guy I was, I just kind of started walking my way up to the podium. You know, I just started acting like I knew what I was doing, you know, nodding to people every now and then and, you know, kind of giving the... <clears throat> I just made my way right up to... Nobody stopped me. I made my way all the way to the governor, and he's face-to-face with me. And I talked to him for about five minutes. He's a Christian man. I thanked him for what he did, and his wife had said some things that I really liked and agreed with, and she kind of had a women's ministry. And he kind of had this look the whole time, like, who are you again? You know, and just, how did you get through my press secretary? And I don't know how I made it. I just I made it all the way up. But here's the thing, and now all you that hollered out, all of you that had seen somebody famous, think with me just for a second through this. When I came home, guess what I did for the next several days? I told everybody, didn't I? I told everybody I'd met these people. Because when you meet somebody famous, what do you want to do? You want to share it with other people, don't you? I bet I, I, bet I told that story a hundred different times. I bet I told all the people that I knew, my friends, my family. I probably called some people, told them. It's a funny story, right? When you meet famous people, you tell people. Now let's tie this into what John's doing. John recognized the supremacy of Christ. He had met Christ. It led him to testify, right? Now let's step on your toes for a second. You ready? How many of us are testifying about Jesus Christ? I mean, he's the most important person in our life because he not only affects what happens in this life, he affects eternity. So how many of us are testifying about Christ? So here's what I think. I think a lot of us need to again experience the supremacy of Christ in our life. I think when we begin to experience, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, when we we begin to experience that supremacy of Christ in our life, it makes us want to share, doesn't it? It makes us want to tell, listen to what Jesus has done for me. Listen to how he fixed, listen, I prayed about this, and listen to how he answered this prayer. 
It makes us want to share our testimony of all that Christ has done for us. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. I'm going to answer the, the doubters right now. Here are the questions. Some of you are already thinking, you know, the Lord, yeah, I, I, he's, he's done things and, and I'm saved. But some of you would say, I just don't have a testimony. I just don't have a good story. This, this, pop, this question always pops up or this discussion always pops up after we have our first missions meeting. We're going on a mission trip somewhere and we gather everybody together and we start telling them about what we're going to do and we say something like this. When you get there, you need to be prepared to share your testimony. <laughs> right? And we'll always have several people come and <laughs> I don't have a testimony. I mean, I'm saved, but I can't, you know, a story. So let's just kind of think through that for a second because John's going to answer that question for us in verse 16. Look with me at verse 16. So just to recap, John the Baptist has seen the supremacy of Christ. He understands the preexistence of Christ. He understands that Jesus was born after him, but comes before him. It leads him to testify. You understand that, right? Leads him to share his story. What's his story? Now verse 16. Out of his fullness, speaking of Christ again, we have all received... Now if you're taking notes, you need to underline the word all. It's very important. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. So here's truth number two. Christ's supremacy gives all of us grace and truth. Let me say that again. Christ's supremacy gives all of us grace and truth. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Lord has bestowed on you grace Upon grace, upon grace. You understand that, right? So you should never say, I don't have a story to tell. The creator of the universe has bestowed grace upon you. That's worth telling alone. But I like how John does this. He makes it kind of easy for us to understand. He uses a word there in verse 16. And I have to be careful when I... When I preach, because different people have different translations. There's, there's the NIV, and there's the King James, and there's the ESV, and the New American Standard. And sometimes they use different phrases. But I look, and every one of the translations uses the same word in verse 16. The word is fullness. Out of the fullness we have received grace. Here's what John's saying to us. Out of the, the fullness of who Christ is... Out of the fullness of His grace and His mercy, we have all received that grace through Jesus Christ. You think about fullness and you think about a cup. Imagine if I had a cup and I filled it up with a liquid. When I get it to the top, the cup is full. When I continue to pour water into the cup, what happens? It overflows. See, the fullness of Christ overflows into our lives. You understand that? So the grace of Christ that he's bestowed is the overflow of grace in his life being poured into our life. And as his grace fills our cup, we are filled to overflowing as well, right? So the fullness of Christ bestows upon us grace. That grace gives us the ability to bestow grace upon other people. Now Colossians 1 gives us kind of this clear picture of Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to listen to what Paul says describing Jesus Christ as kind of the center and the foundation of all things. Don't you listen to the words of Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. The Son, we're speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, I just, again, listen to the supremacy of Christ in these words. In, in Him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. 
And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. See there's this picture of the supremacy of Christ. Now listen to verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. See that? Because of the supremacy of Christ, because of His fullness, because of the grace that's overflowed Him into our lives, we have everything that we need, don't we? We don't need anything else but Christ. We think we need all these other things. We think we need all this other stuff. But if we're clear in Scripture and we're we're walking with Christ, we begin to realize like these persecuted believers all over the world, Christ is enough. Jesus, only Jesus. How easy to say, how difficult to do. So I started thinking about all the things that the fullness and the overflow and the grace of Christ has given us. All the things we've received from Him. John 1.4 says that we've received life because of the fullness and the grace of Christ. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. You know, we're all healthy enough to get up and come to church this morning. That's a blessing, isn't it? Because we all know somebody that's not, don't we? I had one of those kind of dad moments Christmas night. I, was, I had the, the pleasure of being sick Christmas Eve. <laughs> that's a lot of fun. I was sick all night Christmas Eve. And I woke up Christmas morning well enough to kind of walk into the living room and lay in the recliner and and recognize that there were people around me, at least for a few hours. You know, I kind of was part of the experience. But by Christmas night, I was feeling a little bit better. And and I was getting ready. Everybody had gone to bed. And I was trying to straighten up a little bit. It always looks like a bomb goes off in our house, a toy bomb. There's just stuff everywhere right now. I was kind of straightening up a little bit. And I noticed my son's shoes kind of laying by the door. And I had one of those dad moments because I just realized, you know, life is short, isn't it? And it's fleeting. And there will come a day very soon when they're not little shoes laying by the door on Christmas night. And I just had one of these revelations of of kind of the glory of the Lord in life and what a blessing it is. It's not always going to be like that in my house. But in this season, he's given me this, this beautiful picture of, of life and excitement. And we're all in different seasons and we all experience life differently. But we understand, if we kind of come to grips with who the Lord is, that this is a blessing that we have this, isn't it? We're not guaranteed life. We're not guaranteed health. We're not guaranteed safety. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But because of the supremacy of Christ, because of the overflow of the grace in his life bestowed upon us, we're given life. We're given salvation. John 3.16 For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son, right? That whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. But because of the fullness of Christ, because of His grace, He's given us salvation. He's given us peace. John 14.27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. He's given us joy. John 15, 11, speaking of Jesus, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. On and on the list goes of the overflow of the grace of Christ in our lives and how it manifests itself and how we've been given so many things. One writer said it like this, There is laid up in Christ as in a great storehouse all that the believer needs both for time and for eternity God has given us grace and he's given us everything that we need in life 
But here's where, where the, the, the kind of the rubber meets the road for us. We see this picture of the fullness of Christ. We see the fact that the, the grace of Christ is overflowed into our lives. We're now filled with the grace of Christ. As we grow in our walk, that grace overflows and it pours into other lives, right? And so part of the calling, part of the walk as a follower of Jesus Christ is to allow the grace of the Lord not only to fill us up, but to overflow and then spill into other parts of other people's lives. C.H. Spurgeon said it best. I love Spurgeon. If you've never read C.H. Spurgeon, a famous pastor in London in the mid-1800s, you should read some C.H. Spurgeon. This was a guy that was preaching to 10,000 people every Sunday morning in the mid-1800s. Literally the first megachurch. Here's what he said. I'm just going to read it because it's so much better than I could say it. He said, I've heard our Lord likened to a man carrying a water pot. And as he carried it, I can just envision, as he carried it upon his shoulder, the water fell dropping, 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 so that everyone could track the water bearer. So should all his people be, carrying such a fullness of grace that everyone should know where they have been by that which they have left behind. Now listen to this. He who lays in a bed of spices will perfume the air through which he walks. One who has dipped his foot in oil will leave his footprints behind him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, when we're filled with grace and it begins to overflow our lives, we kind of leave it behind and it affects other people around us. As we walk through life and that grace overflows into other people's lives, they begin to see the glory of Christ. They begin to see the glory of the Lord. They are affected and changed and transformed because of the fullness of Christ in your life because it overflows into everything that they're doing as well. So here's the application. As we think about our struggles as we think about sickness and our marriages and all the things that may be causing us heartbreak and the difficulties work, we come to this conclusion that Christ is enough, right? We've we got to begin to live our lives in the middle of this turmoil, in the middle of these difficult things, in the middle of the brokenness of the world. We've got to live our lives as if Christ really is enough. We can't just talk about it. We need to live it. So the challenge we kind of ask ourselves this morning is this. Is Christ really first in all things? Is Christ really enough? Or are you just pretending that He is? And we need to finish up this morning. We're running out of time. Verse 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. There's this interesting comparison we're going to get into in here in just a second. No one has ever seen God... But the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Now here's the third truth I want you to get this morning. We're going to finish up with this. The supremacy of Christ allowed Him to fulfill the Old Testament law. The supremacy of Christ allowed Him to fulfill the Old Testament law. Now some of you are rolling your eyes. Wow, the Old Testament law. We're getting boring now. Where are we going with this? <laughs> The Old Testament law, what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, let's think through this just for a second. Just kind of stay with me, okay? We've got a few more minutes. We see this interesting comparison here between Moses and the Old Testament and the law and Christ and the New Covenant and grace and truth and the New Testament. There's this comparison, right? So he says, as Moses came and basically brought us the law, 
Grace and truth now have come through Jesus Christ. And let's remember the story of Moses because it's important. Exodus chapter 20, the Bible tells us that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Remember, he goes up on the mountain. The Ten Commandments written on the stone tablet by the finger of God. And so for the next probably 10 or 11 chapters in the book of Exodus, Moses is up on the mountain and the Lord is still speaking to him. He's still giving him rules and regulations, how to law, how to, the laws, how to rule, how to govern. And then at a certain point there in, verse, in chapter 32, the Bible says that Moses comes down off the mountain. He's got the two tablets of stone, the truth of the Lord, the law of the Lord. And he gets down and you remember what happens. He sees all his followers worshiping the false idol. Remember the golden calf? Remember the story? What does Moses do? Who remembers? He gets mad and breaks the tablets. Doesn't make me feel so bad sometimes when I get mad, right? (laughs) Moses broke the Ten Commandments. I mean, he threw them down. But there's this very interesting picture here because the Ten Commandments are the truth of God, right? Very clearly the truth of the Lord. But in this moment... In this very sinful moment of Moses, God shows him grace. Because you know what the Lord does? He gives him the commandments again. I'm going to give you truth, Moses. And I'm going to demonstrate to you my grace as I'm doing. Isn't that a beautiful picture of exactly who the Lord is? But what we begin to see as we study through the Old Testament is that the law that the Lord had given, the commandments were too stringent for the Jewish people. They couldn't keep all the laws. There are over 600 of them. And so they struggled to keep the law. And the Bible says they had to do all these different sacrifices, the burnt offerings and peace offerings and grain offering and sin offering. They had to sacrifice bulls and goats and, and birds. And what we begin to see is in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins, right? We know that. And so when they would live in a way that was contrary to the teaching of the law, the Bible says they had to offer a sacrifice. When they offered a sacrifice, they would be forgiven. In fact, Hebrews 9.22 explains it like this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, right? We, We know those stories. But here's the problem. As the people of the Old Testament found out very quickly, they could not keep the law. It was impossible. They couldn't do it. As hard as they tried, as much as they worked, as much as they studied, as many laws as they knew, they couldn't keep the law. And so the law itself, this is a very... Just a beautiful picture of Christ. The law itself and their inability to keep the law pointed very clearly to their need for a Savior. You understand that? Because they couldn't keep... Lord, we can't do this. We can't keep these rules. We can't keep these regulations. We're always sacrificing and all this blood sacrifice and all this grain offering. and We we can't keep the truth of what you called us to keep. We can't do what you called to do. Lord, we need something else. It points to the need of a Savior. It's just a beautiful picture. It's like our life. We try to do everything we can, don't we? We try to live right. We try to make good decisions. We try to do things right. And if we're not following Christ and relying on His strength, at some point we say, Lord, I just can't do this. I need something more. And so enter Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to the earth as a perfect sacrifice for us. He comes to the earth to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And He says in Matthew 7, 15, 7, 7, Matthew 5, 17, sorry. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, follow with me here in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, here's the problem. Nobody's righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, does it? We need a Savior. 
Christ's supremacy allowed him to fulfill the Old Testament law. He came as our ultimate sacrifice, not because of who you were, not because you were good enough, not because you were smart enough, but because of his supremacy, because of his grace. He came and took our place. You know, Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. And I started thinking this week, and I just wrote a few things down. He's supreme over all the earth, isn't he? He's supreme over life. He's supreme over the animals and the plants and the trees. He's supreme over the weather. You know, he's in control of the rain this morning, right? He's in control of the snow. He's in control of of, of the wind and the elements. He's in control of the governments. Praise the Lord for that, right? He's in control of our government. He's in control of governments around the world. He's in control of world leaders. He's in control of all things. But let's just whittle this down to home as we finish up this morning. He's also supremely in control of you, isn't he? He's supremely in control of your life and your salvation and who you are. So I want to leave you with this final statement. Stop trying to control everything yourself and just allow him to be supreme. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the the clear picture of the beauty of Christ, the supremacy of Jesus. Father, I pray that would be so much more than just a word we read. I pray it would be a a mandate by which we live our lives. Lord, help us to, to, to quit talking about God being in control while at the same time not allowing Him to be in our own lives. Lord, I pray for the strength of trust and faith, the ability to to hear from you, to know the direction you've called us to walk. And Lord, I pray that we would just see the supremacy, that it would allow us to testify, it would give us the strength to testify, Lord, that it would allow the, the, the grace in our lives to overflow into the lives of others, that we would see, Lord, that you are the perfect sacrifice. You came to fulfill the law, to take our place. And Father, through all those things, I pray you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. Thank you for who you are in our lives. Lord, help us to see you more clearly every moment of every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. If you want to come down and kneel at the front, you can pray. And Maybe you need to pray for somebody else. Maybe there's a sickness or some health issue or something going on for somebody else. You need to stand in the gap. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe for the first time you've recognized the sinfulness in your life. You want to repent and accept Christ. Or maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time to respond as we sing. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.